So really what we're going to look at is previously, and the most important thing to know is that this book was written to Christians who were being uh, persecuted by the Roman Empire. At this point in history, the Roman Emperor uh, was a really bad guy. He was insane, and you can get into the historical context of that to figure out what, in fact, he was, uh, uh, how he was crazy, but he really didn't like Christians and decided he was going to be persecuting them. And so Peter was writing this book to a bunch of Christians who were undergoing persecution. Now, when I, when I say they were undergoing persecution, I don't mean that their government was just passing laws that they didn't like. I don't mean that they, uh, you know, they, they, they posted on Facebook and people called them names. I mean, these, these Christians were undergoing death uh, by way of persecution from the Roman Empire. This was real persecution. And so really, uh, up until this point, what we've been talking about is the fact that these Christians are being persecuted. And so that's sort of First Peter chapter 1 through to about verse 11. And now what Peter is doing is he uses the transitional word, therefore. And what that means, uh, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to look at Scripture and figure out what it's there for. Uh, are you with me? Um, and so really what he's doing is he's, he's laid out, you are being persecuted, this is happening to you, therefore this is a certain way that you are going to live. So if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be starting here in verse 13. Uh, and I'm going to be preaching a little differently than I normally do. Normally, again, we go exegetically verse by verse through uh, the scripture that has been read for us. However, there's a few things that I really want to call attention to and draw out. So again, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you will also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised from the dead." And gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Today what I want to look at is very simple. I want to talk about happiness versus holiness. Happiness versus holiness. And so Peter's just gone through this, <clears throat> this amazing sort of build up. You, you, you sort of felt it. Therefore do this. Therefore don't set your minds on, on things that are on, on, on earth. You know, uh, behave in a certain way. Set your mind on God. Remember Jesus who died for you. Remember this. Uh, and he, he's built this up to remind these Christians, and I think every Christian who reads this from that point on, that there is a difference between happiness and holiness. Happiness, if it makes it easier for you to remember, happiness is based on happenings. What is happening to you is, or, or, or what you are doing 
uh, is where happiness is derived. I've used this as an example many times, but when I'm in front of my computer games, I play, play my Xbox. When I'm sitting down, I'm in front of the TV, I am happy. When I turn off the TV, the happiness that is associated with that behavior, with what I'm doing, disappears. That is not joy. That is not holy living. That is happiness. Now listen, happiness is not bad. Okay? God wants you, in, to a certain extent, to enjoy your life. However, he wants you to enjoy it in the right way. If I was taking that Xbox, which I love to play, and uh, Sunday morning rolls around, and instead of coming to church, I'm like, you know what I should do instead? Back to Minecraft. <laughs> then something that God has given me for happiness, something that is right and good in the world, can then become sinful. Do you understand that difference? So I'm not saying that you're never to be happy. I'm not saying you should be walking around looking like a bunch of Christians who are sucking on sour grapes or, or, or eating lemons. You know these ones? Have you met these Christians, the ones that walk around and they're so God-forsaken holy that they are just... How are you doing? I am well today and how is it with your soul? They're not happy. They're here. Like, there should be a joy in Christianity. There should be, hey, guess what? I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. That makes me joyful. I'm going to act like it. That's why we sing praise and worship songs that are upbeat, and you see Daryl on his little bungos just going for it. He has a joy in what he's doing that is not based on worldly things. It's not based on happiness or happenings that are happening to him. He's got the joy of the Lord, and so he's smacking those bongos. And me, for all my, my, I play the guitar like I have sausages strapped to my fingers. I'm happy playing. And Giselle, when she sings, she's happy when she sings because she has a joy of the Lord that is not based on the happenings of the world around her, but rather reflecting the salvation within. So there is happiness. And that is uh, starkly contrasted in these verses with holiness. We'll get to holiness in just a second. <coughs> But instead, what I want to talk about is, is to, to, to build up on this point, is something uh, that is called the theology of happiness. Uh, this is an incorrect teaching in the church. Sometimes church leaders go off the rails a little bit, and you sort of get this idea that happy, happiness uh, is, is uh, really what you should be pursuing. And what it comes down to, is, is if I was going to, to sort of put a label on it, would be this sort of idea of personal justification. And you sort of see this when you look at Christians uh, who are pursuing happiness rather than holiness. You see that in their lives when they say, well, you know what, God wants me to be happy. So this activity over here, it might be sinful. Uh, however, it brings me happiness. Therefore, God wants me to be happy. I'm going to pursue that sinfulness. Does that make sense? And what you do is you, you justify sinful behavior within your own life because you've fallen into the trap of thinking that God wants you to be happy, not that God wants you to be holy. And so this could manifest itself in, in multiple different ways. Perhaps you uh, enjoy gossiping. Don't say it too loudly. I don't want so-and-so to overhear me. But perhaps you find happiness in, in talking about one another without the other person present. Maybe you like talking behind people's backs. And that brings you happiness for whatever reason. You're a freak, but we'll get to that in a different sermon. Um, maybe that's what brings you happiness. And even though the Bible clearly says that gossip, slander, malicious talk is sinful, you say, well, you know, I get this nice little shot of adrenaline. I get this nice endorphin rush when I'm gossiping about someone. Therefore, 
God wants me to be happy, therefore I'm going to continue this, and you pursue happiness rather than holiness, and you justify it in your life, even though Scripture tells you that that's wrong. And you can take that example of gossiping, and you can translate anything into that that the Bible says is sinful behavior. Now, what you need to know is that righteous act devoid of God is also sinful. And so one of the traps that we fall into as a church uh, specifically is saying, hey, uh, I, was, I was so righteous in this particular moment. I was so good. I was doing this. And, and look, everyone, look at me. And we take that personal righteousness, which is devoid of God, and we start to build that up. And instead of saying, hey, God did this through me, we start saying things like, I did this in me. And we're pursuing uh, our own happiness in people looking at us and saying, man, that guy's good. Maybe you do that, maybe you don't. I don't know what your thing is. I'm going to bet you have a thing, because everyone does. Everyone has something in their life that if you pursued it with all of your might, all of your uh, gusto, all of everything that you are, even if it is a good thing in moderation, it could turn into a sinful thing, and you would start pursuing happiness rather than holiness. Sometimes as Christians, we do this with our family, and our family becomes more important than God, and we pursue happiness within our families rather than pursuing the righteousness of God in our families. And that family thing becomes more important than God. And so that thing that God has given you, which is a blessing and is a good thing, instead starts becoming a sinful thing, and you run onto the trap of happiness rather than holiness. I wrote it up. We think if God wants me to be happy, then I'm able to do something that otherwise would be wrong or unwise. And listen, it's not just uh, sinful things that we're talking about. It's things that are unwise as well. Uh, sometimes we can just make bad decisions. That has nothing to do with sinful behavior. It has nothing to do with breaking God's commandments. But sometimes, if we're being honest, as people, sometimes we do stupid things. Can, can we be honest with that? Uh, am I the only one? Am I the only one? Because I didn't get an amen on that. I understand, I understand, you know, whatever. But sometimes we just do, we do silly things. And we pursue those silly things and we do those things. And uh, they, they're not necessarily sinful, but they can be wrong or unwise. And when we believe that God wants us to be happy above all else, the discomfort, delay of gratification, risk, and suffering can't be God's will. This is where it really falls into a trap. If we believe that God wants us to be happy, then when suffering comes along, and again, I remind you of the words of Jesus who said, you will suffer in this life, you will undergo trials, you will uh, undergo things that are bad, this will happen to you, not if, not whatever, it is when it happens to you, when you go through sufferings, which you will, then if you think, uh, you know, in this theology of holiness, the God, uh, theology of happiness, that God wants me to be happy, I'm undergoing suffering, therefore it's not God's will, and so therefore God doesn't love me, and you can fall away from the cross of Jesus. I'm, I'm, these things have ramifications to them. When you put everything on the theology of happiness without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. Now, if you don't believe me that some, some of the, the things produce happiness and that we start to worship those things rather than the creator God, uh, I would draw your attention 
to the fact that Apple this week released a new iPhone. Did anyone, just me, am I the only nerd in the building that knows that Apple did this massive thing and they released, ooh, these are our new phones, these are great. And this is the cost, but you all need to upgrade. And that feeling of when you open up a new box and you, <coughs> God is calling you, Bill. Come to the altar. Nothing. Anyway, now he's a Samsung guy. We don't talk about this. Now, when you, when you open that new box of things, you get a rush of endorphins that lasts about a week. And that, that rush of endorphins become addictive, and suddenly we want the newest, greatest thing. And so Apple knows that once a year, they can release a phone that has about this much faster speed or this much bigger of a screen, and people in their millions are going to rush out and grab the latest thing because they have been trained in their brains in the same way that addicts are trained to enjoy drugs, that if you open up a new box, you're going to get a spike of endorphins. Those endorphins make you feel better, and you're going to have a better life, and suddenly you're on the altar of things. But here's what happens at an altar of things, is you start to sacrifice other good and godly things. Because if a new phone costs X amount of dollars every single year, that's X amount of dollars that you're not going to be tithing, giving to the poor, spending on your own family. There are people that we run into in our line of work here that would rather spend their new money on a, a new device, no matter what it is, they would rather spend their money there than paying for the rent that houses their family or paying for the food on their table or paying for the heat and power in their houses. Sometimes things become false gods that we worship. Now, we're going to move into now holiness. That's happiness. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? No one's like completely in the dark and like, well, I'm not sure. Because I've got more. I could go on for another 20 minutes if you wanted me to. But I think right now all of you are on board with that is happiness. Jen is nodding. I got no man. We can move on now to holiness. Now, <clears throat> I want to preface the talk on holiness and end the talk on happiness with these two sentences. God does not exist to serve us right? God exists, or rather we exist, to serve Him. Now, that, that is a mindset shift that some people ha still have to go through. That uh, a lot of times in church, the preacher will be like, yeah, just love God. He's going to give you all of these blessings. You love God, and then uh, He's going to give you happiness. He's going to give you wealth. He's going to give you prosperity. He's going to give you that house that you always wanted, the car that you always wanted to drive. You're never going to suffer. You're never going to go through uh, poverty. You're never going to go through distress. You're never going to go through all this. And suddenly, God exists like a magic fairy from a Disney film. There's this fairy godmother who comes in, waves the magic wand, and says, Yes! Suddenly, instead of dressed in rags, you're in a princess dress, and you can go to the ball. That's not the way that God works. That's not what he exists for. In fact, we exist, it says in Scripture, that we exist to serve and worship him. In fact, um, for those of you who are theology nerds, there's something called the Westminster Catechism, uh, which is a series of questions and answers designed to train people doctrinally in what Scripture says. And in the Westminster Catechism, the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? That's the first question in it. 
and the answer which is memorized by congregations in that denomination is that the chief end of man is to glorify God. This is something that was written, I think, in 1560-something or other. It's old theology that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to bring praise and glory to his name. That's what you and I were designed for. So it brings us to the word holy. Now, the word holy in scripture here is the Greek word hagios. It's a fun word to say. I I invite you to, to, to try it out whenever you want to. Hagios means this. It means holy, but it also means set apart. It means different, and it means pure. In fact, the entire sermon series that we're in in 1 Peter is called different. It's from this word because this is the call of Peter through the Holy Spirit onto the lives of Christians, that he wants you, the Holy Spirit wants you to be different, to be set apart from the world. Everything that you see out in the world Uh, you are to be different from that in a measurable and uh, remarkable way. And I debated whether or not to put this in. I'm feeling feisty, so I'm actually going to show you this slide. I want you to know that if you are no different from the world, you are not following Christ. Now, that is a harsh statement to make, and some of you uh, have been born into this idea of, well, the pastor, preacher, whatever, is not supposed to offend you. He's not supposed to make you uncomfortable in any way. Uh, I grew up in the old school uh, hellfire and damnation uh, uh, idea of preaching, and so every now and then I'm going to poke you with a stick to make you uncomfortable, right? If someone from the outside world was to look in at your life in unfettered access Uh, your life was projected up on a big screen, every waking moment of your life and every inner thought that you ever had was projected onto a big screen and someone was to sit there and to watch it, the question of whether or not you're a Christian revolves around the fact that if your life looks any different from the life of the person next to you who is not a Christian, does it look different? And I'm not just talking, oh yeah, it looks different on Sunday morning. I go to church to have this young guy yell at me for an hour. It's great. No, that's not the kind of difference that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the difference in maybe your responses. When that suffering comes along, when those bad things happen, because let's be honest, bad stuff happens pretty much on a daily basis. Something goes the way that you're not expecting it to go. How do you respond to it? Do you lose your temper? Do you yell? Do you scream? Do you curse? Or do you say, how does God want me to handle this? How does he want me to deal with this? If you are not different from the world, then you're not following Christ. Throughout all of Scripture, uh, whenever, whenever Jesus spoke, he gave us a different way of acting, a different way of interacting, uh, a different way of reacting. He, he taught us how to be different. He said, if someone comes up to you and slaps you across the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Slap him back and run for the hills. No, he didn't say that. He said, turn the other cheek. Vastly different from what the world says. The world says, get revenge. Take out your vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, not yours. And so if you are no different from the world, you are not following Christ. And if you don't, still don't believe me, we can argue after the service. And I'll be right and you'll be wrong. Because I'm good. I know my stuff. Be holy. God said, for I am holy. 
be set apart. The word holy is found throughout all of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's a different word. It's the Hebrew word Kadesh. Uh, it still means the same thing. It means holy. It means set apart. It means to be sanctified. Uh, do you ever wonder why we call this chapel a sanctuary? It means that it's a, a, a set part of our building that is set apart from the rest of the building for a singular purpose. This is the place that we come in to worship God. It doesn't mean you can't worship God elsewhere, but it means this place has been set apart for that purpose. And that is the same word that Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is using to describe you. You should be set apart from the world for a purpose of God. Now, some of you, that purpose is going to be real simple. It's going to be being a good Christian, loving your neighbor even when it's difficult, loving each other even when it's really difficult. Because sometimes it's really difficult to love other Christians. Like the, the people that you meet on the street that aren't Christians, I can love them real easy because they don't know better, right? Um, uh, but, but I've met Christians who should know better in the way that they're behaving, and it's real difficult to love them because they should know better. Now, now that, that could, again, could be me. Uh, I think Daryl said it. If the church isn't the place when you can come, be honest, be flawed, I don't know what is, Right? And I'm going to tell you, I have flaws. Part of my flaws is that I have very little patience to, for people who claim to be Christian but are no different from other people. If you're not a Christian, I will give you all the grace in the world. But if you're a Christian, you and me need to talk, my friend, because you shouldn't behave, be behaving that way. And the Holy Spirit is working on that. I'm not proud of it, but that's just my flaw. And it's really important to note that what we are not talking about, I'm not talking about behavior modification. What I'm talking about is a spiritual transformation. Behavior modification is actually kind of easy. You get yourself a rubber band, and every time you don't do something right, you, you flick yourself. So flick a dog's nose. They know real quick not to pee on the carpet. Like that's, that's behavior modification. That's not what I'm talking about. Because behavior modification, it fixes the outside, but it does nothing for the inside. So when God says to you, be holy, for I am holy, what he's talking about is spiritual transformation. Peter here says to, to guard your heart, to guard your mind, to have it transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are Christians that have never had your internal uh, processes transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you're like... Yeah, God, I want to worship you. I want to love you. However, this is me. I, I, don't, I, want, I don't want this to change. I don't want this to, to stop. I want to be able just to be me, and I don't want to be transformed. I don't want to give up those things. And, and the Holy Spirit maybe is prompting you right now and just, just jabbing you, like, unlike a, a person might jab you with a stick, to say, no, you can be better than that. Living holy isn't the path to knowing Christ. Living a holy life, being set apart, is not a path to knowing Christ. What you need to know is that knowing Christ is, Christ is the path to holiness. Now, the Salvation Army is what's called a holiness movement. We were founded on this idea that once you become a Christian, your life should look radically different than what it looked like before. I use the word radically, not uh, as hyperbole. But your life should look radically different than the life that you were before you were a Christian. And part of that is allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your life and convicting you of the sins that maybe you're gripping onto because you don't want to give it up. Maybe you like the way that you're behaving. Maybe you like uh, uh, the, 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 
circle of friends that you have and you don't want to be challenged to give them up. Maybe, maybe, I don't know what it is for you. I could come in and give you a thousand examples, but the problem with that is if I don't hit that one that is in your life, you think that you're safe. Well, he didn't specifically say that this is bad, therefore, I'm going to keep doing it. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Word revelation simply means the knowing. If you were to, to break it down, it would be the revealing of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some of us read that and we're like, oh, see, we're set until, until you know, the book of Revelation happens and the apocalypse comes. That, that's not what this verse is saying. It says when Christ comes to you and he reveals who he is to you and you become a Christian, that's actually the moment when that transformation is supposed to begin. Set your mind on the things above. Be sober-minded, which as you can imagine literally just means don't be fanciful. Don't start ranting in your own brains. Be serious. Start thinking about these things in your own life. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Be set apart. Be different. In all your conduct. Not just some. Not a little. Not a lot. All your conduct. Whether that is the things that are on the outside that other people can see, or if that's the inward condition of your own heart, be different in all your conduct. Knowing Christ, knowing his will for your life, is the path to living a holy life. As we end our time together today, I just want to encourage you. I'm going to take a couple of minutes uh, of reflection and prayer. Um, if you would, just shut your eyes. And I want you to meditate just on a couple of questions. Like I said, I'm a little bit old school. I like to reflect. But I want you to reflect on a couple of questions. If someone was to look at your life, would it be different than if they looked at the life of a non-believer? If someone was able to see your innermost thoughts, your inner monologue, would it be different from those that do not know Jesus? Have you considered your Christianity with sober-mindedness? Do you think that you fully know Christ? Are you on the path to holiness? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we pray you, uh, praise your name. Lord, I ask for each one of us here that you will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reveal into each one of us what you want for our lives. Lord, if there are sinful things in our lives that we have allowed because they're comfortable, I ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that you convict each one of us, Lord. Lord, if our lives do not reflect a difference, I ask that again, 
that your Holy Spirit prompts us in those uncomfortable ways to know, truly know what Christ has for us. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us you make different and that we do it through your wonderful name so that as we stumble along on the path of sanctification that you are with us, guiding us, holding us firm and being with us. We pray these things in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus, amen.